You're listening to the Unhustle Podcast, and today you're going to learn how to lead like a woman. So stay tuned. Hi, I'm Milena Rigos, and after 20 years of successful marketing career and building a seven-figure business, I decided to pivot and start Unhustle, a revolutionary approach to the way we live and work. In this podcast, we have conversations about why hustle is not the key to success. We talk about the mindset, habits, and practices to help you get out of being always busy, overworked, and stressed out. We focus on creating a simpler, healthier, and happier life that is sustainable so you can live and work with more well-being, joy and purpose, and get into a state of high performance, a new way of living fit for the times we're in. Hey, Hustlers, how are you? I'm recording this from Lake Tahoe. I'm just so grateful to be able to live in such an amazing place known as God's country. And today on the podcast, I invited uh, Deborah Peggs, who went from a student maid to a Fortune 500 VP to best-selling award-winning author. Deborah has written 18 books, including the upcoming Lead Like a Woman, and she's held various professional and executive positions in several major corporations, including 10 years as vice president of MCA and three years as manager of forecasting and budgeting for Hughes Aircraft's billion-dollar space and communications division. So she's been in some very, very powerful positions, and she wanted to share with us how to lead like a woman. Here's Deborah. Hello, Deborah. I'm so excited for today's conversation with you. I'm uh, with Deborah smith Peguet, and she's an amazing woman, and I can't wait to share this um, conversation with you. So, Deb, Deborah, <laughs> we were talking earlier about um, a couple of things like uh, women empowerment, confidence, and, and I know you just finished your book and and congratulations on that it's such an amazing accomplishment it's one of many I understand books that you've written thank you so much Melina I was just glad to be here with you so let's start by talking about um, leadership traits specifically as they relate to women well I maintain that God has equipped women to excel in leadership uh, in fact, in the original mandate in the garden, women were a woman was was designated to help populate the earth. And so, when God gave them the mandate to say go and and populate the earth, uh, He didn't give it to one of them. He gave it to both of them because He needed them both to be fruitful. And so, my premise is to let people know, even in writing a book called Lead Like a Woman, you don't have to lead like a man. And so, God has given us certain things. And one of the things I like that He's given us really is to be nurturing. Uh, a lot of times women will shy back from that. I don't want to be perceived as nurturing because that's not too macho and may, men may not take me seriously. But you'd be surprised and studies have shown that women who are nurturing uh, and, and help develop employees, employees are much more engaged in a corporation where they have a female boss and the bottom line is even higher. So we have, we're collaborative. We're a whole bunch of things that God has given us. But there are also things that we do to sabotage ourselves. And we'll get into that later. But the point is, in the book, I talk about 12 traits that God has inherently given us. You know, not all women, but we, can, we all have the capacity to, to demonstrate those things. So that, I, that's exciting to me because so many women are coming to the table in leadership roles. And, um, and they just need to know you don't have to go enter, enter that realm 
acting like a man. You can embrace all that you are and still be powerful and effective. So will it make sense to get into the 12 leadership traits that you've outlined? Okay, sure. You want to do that? Well, sure. Just, okay, so I tell you what I'll do. I'm just going to run through a few of them just so, and then we can come back. So the, the first one I talk about in the book is being collaborative. So I'm, I'm going to name a few and then I'll come back and talk about them. We are emotionally savvy. We are nurturing. We are communicative. We are intuitive. We are persuasive and motivational. Uh, we have the ability to be resilient. And you know that. You know that we have the ability to be resilient. We are flexible. We are vulnerable. We're servant hearted. We are principled. And we are resourceful. I mean, that's quite, that's quite a laundry list right there. Just think of bringing all those to the table. You see, so any one of them you want to park on would be fine with me. But those are the ones that I highlight in the book, giving examples, interview several women uh, who are in that in that space and who are exhibiting those traits. And here's the point. We not only have to embrace them and say, hey, this is part of who I am. I'm going to bring that to the table. But we have to manage them. Because a lot of us, if you if you don't manage that tendency to be nurturing, you'll over nurture and become mothering. And there's a difference. And so we have to embrace them and manage them. And that's the theme throughout the book. And embrace these traits, but manage them so that you don't go overboard. And the, and, the, and the point is, you don't have to be like a man. You can do it in a way that still makes you powerful. Yeah. Well, you can't, you can't lead like a man because you're another man, right? <laughs> that's right. But many women try and they think it's going to help. And it, it has the opposite effect because you know that a man who is aggressive and all that, they say he's just, you know, he's just an assertive man. And a woman is going to be that B word. <laughs> Yeah. So, we, you know, so, you know, because listen, men made the rules for leadership and we're not saying in this book, OK, just try to find a way to fit in. We're saying, hey, make your own set of rules that you come to the table with and own them. Don't apologize for them and don't hide them. So I want to I want you to take us a little bit from your story, because you have a powerful story of working as a mate to becoming a successful businesswoman. And as it relates to the book um, or not. Why don't you give us a little bit of that background of that story? Okay, I grew up in the South, and my mom was a domestic worker. She cleaned people's houses, and um, and I was able to take on a few of her customers before I went to college. And I'm making 75 cents an hour. <laughs> Real excited when I graduated to being a motel maid and made $1.25 an hour. And so I um, used that opportunity to buy my school clothes for college. I knew I was going to college because there was going to be no way out of that poverty or just that whole structure if you didn't get an education at least I was always told that. So that's what I, I did. I used the, the, that, those made earnings to launch my way into being prepared to go into school. I paid for my entire college education myself, didn't get a scholarship or anything for my bachelor's degree. And then I graduated, went to, um, came to Los Angeles, moved from Texas and came to Los Angeles. I went to USC, got an MBA, worked for a CPA firm and, and followed that career path. And now today, 15 years ago, I took the plunge and left a comfortable job and, st and um, came out to write and speak full time. That's, that's it in, in a nutshell. It sounds easy, not easy. <laughs> no, it's not easier though. I mean, I, I appreciate what you did because I told you I'm from Bulgaria and so grew up in a, you know, in a very different environment than in the States. And the same, why my parents believed in education. And yes. so I ended up in America for, for an MBA, but it's not easy. And taking, I want to, I want to 
dig deeper in taking that plunge because so many people, and especially with everything that's going on right now, so many people are considering, well, do I, do I get control of my freedom and my destiny and do I connect with my purpose? And it's such a scary move to go from that full-time cushy job, which I yep. did as well, mm. um, to I, I did it twice. Uh, oh. Well, but um, I want to I want to get deeper into your story. So, what was your aha moment? You know, you had this cushy job, and and all of a sudden, what convinced you that you needed to take that plunge? Well, everybody around me kept saying, "Okay, your work is done." I believe God had called me, and He had indeed called me to this place. It was a actually a mega church, and I was the CFO, and we had had a we had a big project that I was able to get the financing for, and it was like the largest loan ever extended to a church in the country. So, I felt like I had. Uh, accomplish what God has sent me there for. And I think that's one of the things we got to understand that this, is, this isn't a decision you just make off the top of your head or just based on logic. You got to say, God, what's next? And so my next uh, place of destiny was on a different freeway. <laughs> I always say that I live in Los Angeles and you can't get to San Diego on the same freeway where I live. You got to, you know, you got to transition. And so sometimes you got to transition. And so I transitioned. I, it was kind of scary because I am a woman of color. I, 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 when I even wrote my books, it's kind of funny now looking back, I told my publisher, I said, listen, don't put my picture on my books. We don't want anybody to know I'm black. I, I have a French last name and uh, let's just don't let anybody know until they buy the book. They'll have to look me up by then. They've already bought the book. <laughs> so I, I said, but I jokingly said, Melina, I jokingly said, let's put my a picture on the books when I've sold a million copies. Well, I had one book to sell a million copies and, and I sold over two million books. And when, at the end of about that period, I said, listen, it ain't broke. Don't fix it. <laughs> let's just keep my pictures off. But the book that I just wrote, I'm putting my picture on and God has done a tremendous thing in my mindset about what, what I can do and what I can't do. And I know there are women out there trying to figure out how do I go to the next level? I don't have the confidence. And I really want to park and talk about this whole confidence scene because the studies show that when they test women's attributes, leadership attributes, women excel men in all the categories except one, and that's the confidence. Why is that? I think I think we've been socialized that it's not ladylike to be confident. You know, I mean, even other girls don't really like uh, and women don't necessarily always like a woman who's super confident because it makes it seem cocky. Now, a man could be confident. That's fine. But we have to start to learn that. And then those of us who don't have the confidence, you don't have self-confidence. I say that's great because self-confidence is a terrible concept. When I say that, people go, what do you mean? Well, the word confidence means with trust. When you trust in self. That's not good. The Bible says he who trusts in himself is a fool. So I tell women, just show up. Whatever the task is, start to build confidence by getting comfortable and uncomfortable. Start doing things that are outside of your comfort zone. You'd be surprised. I even show up now for my uh, interviews and I'm practicing. I don't I don't know the questions. I don't rehearse. I'm just like, OK, God, you're on whatever comes out. <laughs> you can't practice with me. I never give you the, the questions ahead of time. And quite honestly, I don't know where this conversation is going to go. So I don't even know the questions. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, we have questions, but I said, if somebody wants to use them, fine. But, you know, I just got off of a 90 minute podcast right before I came here. We didn't know, you know, we we're just all over the board. It's a conversation. But the point is, you don't have to be anxious. That's the point I want women to know. You don't have to be anxious about performance. 
when you're not depending on yourself for the totality of what you're going to say and do. You, you don't limit yourself to what you know or your education or your experience. You just, you know, you show up and you say, hey, God, help me. My eyes are on you. And that, that's my message. That's my message. So do you, have, uh, do you have any practices or any rituals or anything that you do to boost your confidence? Yeah, I do. I, I learn scriptures. I, I, I'm going to share a couple of, and, and I hope it's okay. I, I didn't ask if this is a Christian show per se, but I can tell you most people out there, um, I know most Americans say they believe in God. And so I really try to embrace the scriptures as a practical standpoint. For instance, there's a scripture that says not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as emanating from us, but our sufficiency comes from God. I literally sometimes, Elena, just sit there and say, I receive your adequacy, Lord. You know, I just do that because I believe that if I show up, if I show up and believe that I'm going to excel, then I am. But if, I, if I'm always waiting for an opportunity, I don't even let people know what I have, what I bring to the table. I'm always minimizing it because I don't want anybody to think I'm haughty. <laughs> it's like you're not going to get anywhere if you don't learn how to advocate for yourself. Now, how do you do that and stay in alignment with the Bible, which says promotion comes from God? You know, let somebody else praise you and not yourself. I always say there's a difference between, uh, you know, praising yourself and then just explaining what you bring to the table so that people know I have value. And so that's that's kind of my strategy from a practical standpoint. I try to prepare myself because I always say I'm in partnership with God. He does his part. He does the supernatural. I do the natural. I like it. That's how <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's not a Christian show at all, but, um, you know, we we do talk about spirituality and this is part of it. So yeah. whatever works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this works for me. And I always like to say that this works for me. It has worked. Uh, I, have, I don't have that strength, this unhustle. Uh, you know, I, I try to live an unhustled life because I think when you hustle, there's so much self-effort there until it's, it wears you out, it stresses you. Am I adequate? I'm, can I be able to do this? And sometimes you just got to say, hey, I'm going to try it and let's just see where it goes. And, you know, that takes, the, that takes the stress out because the studies have shown the amount of stress we experience in any situation, it depends on how we feel about that situation. But if you don't feel that you're going to fail, I never feel that I'm going to fail. I'm either going to learn a lesson when I'm going to succeed wildly. <laughs> so if, if my mindset is that whatever I do, if, even if that doesn't work according to my original plan, I learned a lesson. Therefore, I still won. <laughs> I love that outlook. I mean, that's a, that's a really good way of looking at it. Just try it, show up, yeah. see what happens. What's the yeah. worst that can yeah. happen, right? Right. Learn yeah. a lesson. You, you, you grow from that. You really do. You grow. You, your confidence grows when you have some wins. And even if you have some losses, now you know exactly what not to do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, so tell me, what's the, um, what do you think is the most common obstacle that female leaders face? Is it credibility? Confidence? Yeah, confidence, but just trying to gain credibility, um, trying to outli- um, outlive that stereotype um, that's been put on us as too emotional, um, too wimpy. And so, listen, we can fight those. We can, you know, even if you cry, end up crying in a situation, that's not the end all. For some people, they'll say, oh, that's the death of a career if a woman cries. I say, listen, if you just can't hold it and you know you're going to cry, go on and cry. When you finish, you just straighten yourself up and you say, you can see I feel pretty strongly about that. (laughs) 
you know, so I think the obstacles are just trying to avoid those stereotypes. But sometimes we try, we try so hard until again, it backfires. It doesn't advance our ball down the court. If we come in like gangbusters, I'm the boss. You better know it. You know, like, if you have to tell somebody you're the boss, then you're not leading well because you need to command respect by the standard that you set, by the proficiency you bring to the table, how you present yourself, how you treat people. Those things will command respect. I know I know that from experience. Can you remember a situation uh, in your corporate life where you had to stand your ground? Oh, gosh, yes. There have been many times I worked with a guy once who was, who had a reputation for just yelling. He thought he intimidated everybody, um, you know, and, and it was with his volume. He's a big guy, you know, and he came in one day and he was he I thought he had charged us too much, my company too much. And he was railing and raving. And uh, when he finished, I looked at him, you know, like a woman. And I said, I should probably tell you that um, nobody intimidates me. I, I need you to know that. Uh, and 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 he he had an invoice he had submitted. So clearly, I'm in charge. I got the checkbook. <laughs> I'm in charge of when you get paid. So you better be nice. So I didn't say that. I just said, you know, and just those things that are problematic. I just don't deal with them immediately. He knew what that meant, you know. So I said, you should probably know that only somebody that can intimidate me would be God. Good for you. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Sometimes it's how you say it, the words you say, especially as a woman. Got to learn to use power words. Where do you get those words from? I ask God to give me the words. I really do. Give me the words that would have impact so that I don't have to try to lead like a man. I don't need to curse anybody out. I don't need to yell. I don't need to get out of being in. I don't need to, I need to be authentic to who I am. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be me. I'm going to speak my mind, but I'm going to do it in a respectful way. I'm going to try to say it powerfully and I'm not going to apologize for it. When I put a point on the table, I'm not going to say, well, this, this may not work. You know, if I, if I know it might work, then I'm going to say, I'd like to put forth this suggestion. I believe if we do this, this would be the outcome. Now, if I haven't studied it, I'll say, listen, I, don't, I haven't studied this totally. I just want to put it out there to be considered. You see, how, see the difference that make, makes in not saying, well, this may not be right. <laughs> right. It's about approach. Yeah. Yeah, it's about words, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's about words. So... Deborah, you're a very powerful, busy, work, hardworking woman. Let's talk about a little bit of like work-life separation and how do you handle that? Well, I've been married 41 years. Congratulations. My, my, thank you. Uh, happily, not just enduring. <laughs> <laughs> but 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 we have some I have rituals I what have. are the secrets what's the secret to success <laughs> well we but we we're both marching to the same music you know we both have a great affinity for pleasing God we really do we, I don't want to treat him in a way that God would frown he doesn't want to treat me in a way that God would go like mm. and so but we've agreed on certain things see most couples fight about money and so we've already agreed on our financial priorities. We knew that we were approaching our retirement years. And so we we actually relocated so that we could have, um, you know, a financial status that was not didn't require us to make a bunch of money if we didn't want to. Um, so we've kind of we've, we've laid out our priorities, how much how much excess cash we want to have, what kind of cash reserves. And and then we have date night for the last 40 years. We've had date night every Friday unless uh, some activity is going to happen on Saturday with my schedule. Then we'll, uh, you know, we'll just switch it to Saturday or whatever. But we have decided that that's the priority. 
So we guard our time. And, and, we, and you know what? We, we pour into other couples because there's something about teaching a principle that reinforces your own. And so we do that. And uh, we both try to minister to our families, but we don't let families get involved in our, our business. So we just have some things that we've done like that. But my priority are God, my marriage, and then my career. Uh, I think it's so important to have priorities straight. I mean, this is kind of one of the things, you know, and how so preaches is priorities, priorities, priorities. And um, I've been yeah, married for 17 years and I do have date nights on Fridays. <laughs> That's <laughs> great. Listen, 17 years is good in this culture. <laughs> yeah. People are not that tolerant of each other. It's like next you know, you got to have a commitment there and, and uh, try to stay friends. And, and I, when I say this, people go like, that works. But we are both confrontational. My husband, when we say that, I use that word um, strategically because it means confrontation means coming together face to face. So when we have an issue, nobody sulks and pout. We talk about it. We say, I don't like this when that happened. I think we need to do this. And so we've made communication just like key so that we keep our issues on the table and nobody has bitterness and all of that because it's on the table nobody's guessing what's up what's upsetting you i don't go into a mode that i see a lot of women do we'll just pout and solve one it's like what's wrong with you nothing oh no no this is what's wrong with me <laughs> i can't agree anymore i mean you know i i see a lot of women complain about this but and and guys shut down they don't want to talk about it and and you know um yeah. i see i just see a big issue with just communication it's just to like speak oh. up on both sides you're right. And you have to do it nicely. You don't have to do it. I have a whole book on that. It's called Confronting Without Offending on how to confront somebody where you do it in a way that's not accusatory. You're seeking first to understand. You ask the right questions. And the question is, isn't why in the world did you do that? It's not like that. It's like, help me to understand what we, where we were going with that. So that's important that you know, know how to work through conflict. Just, I read one study that said couples who have been married long it wasn't that they had fewer arguments than couples who divorced. They just knew how to work through them. And so, hey, that's that's a principle. You got to work through the conflict. So you have to have a strategy for how you work through conflicts. And you're going to agree that you're going to talk it out. You're not going to let it go for days. You're just going to when the problem comes up, you want to say, hey, this behavior is negatively impacting me. I need it to stop. Yeah. Do you think it's it's kind of the same way handling a work situation? I mean, you've been in some really powerful positions. And so what do you see any similarities with that? Oh, absolutely. When I have a boss who's done something or made a decision that's negatively impacting me, I need to tell him that I, I said that was pretty demoralizing or I'm very disappointed that that didn't happen. Uh, if I didn't get something I thought I should have gotten, I, I really would like to know what's going to take to get this. Um, because I, first of all, I do my research, whatever I'm asking for, I want it to be reasonable. You know, if a company is, is, is in a set of a series of losses, then I can't be asking for a 30% raise and the company struggling to stay afloat. But I can say, this is what I, I know I'm worth. And this is what I like. And so I, I, in the book, I, I teach even like script <laughs> on how to say it, ask for what you want. It's because you can't go around expecting instead of asking, you know, just wishing, you know, somebody's going to notice. I just keep my head down and I'm proficient and somebody's going to notice. Not <laughs> as especially women, because they think you want to do it. They think you want to work like that. And we get so much satisfaction out of just the work itself, which is a good thing, but we got to learn how to balance it and still get paid for what, what we're worth. And we can ask for that. We don't have to worry about being thrown out in the streets because we ask for a raise. So this whole, yeah, this whole self-worth thing is, is a big um, topic for hustle because so many people identify themselves with their work. 
Yep. Yep. So we, we, merge, so we, we merge the two. We, we merge the two. But listen, when you get your self-worth out of something that you've performed, just know that down the line, you're not going to be able to be able to perform. So you need to peel it back and be honest about this. I had to do this with myself. Every job I was on, my car was the last one in the parking lot. I just worked that everybody was gone. I think I liked that reputation as being in the hardest worker. Well, that wasn't positioning me to lead because if, if you're so busy just working, that could mean you're not developing other people. So we got to peel back and say, why am I doing this? You know, I, I really had to ask myself that when, once I was, when I was working 14 hour days, why am I doing that? Well, I like the accolades from the boss who would publicly say she is so good. I mean, I like, I like them saying that. <laughs> well, was something missing? Was validation missing somewhere else in my life? Could I get it from somewhere else? So I just began to step back and say, well, you know what? You need to just know what you bring to the table. And again, I go back to the scriptures that I live by. And there's one in Proverbs 31, 18. And it says, she perceives that her merchandise is good. I don't need somebody else's perception of what I bring to the table. I know within myself that what I bring to the table is valuable and marketable. And I need to honor that. So that's that's how I approach it. Thank you so much. <laughs> know your worth. <laughs> yeah, you got to know it. You know, even on the market, you know, in the marketplace, you need to know, mm, OK, if I'm a CPA and I have an MBA, what are they getting these days? And what are the responsibilities? Are my responsibilities exceeding those? What are the salary ranges in my area? All that information is out there. And so if you've been uh, underpaid and you're just afraid to say something and I'm always wondering, why is a woman afraid to say something when you already know and you look around you, you know, you probably have probably the most proficient person in the environment. <laughs> Why would you not say I'm aware of that? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But it comes Absolutely. back down to that whole confidence thing, right? Yeah. And again, perceived as pushy or aggressive. Yeah, but you don't have to be pushy or aggressive. You, it's how you do it. It's how you present it. You don't have to say, I want this or else or I'm leaving. You can right. say, this is what I'd like. I, listen, I did this two years in a row. I asked for a 20% raise two years in a row. And I didn't say, or I'll leave. I'll, I may say, I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm, you know, my responsibilities have extended to this much. And, and this is what I bring to the table. This is what I've been able to do. I'm a team player. I took on this responsibility. And I wanted, I, this is what I'd like. I'd like a 20% raise. Now, they see they know what you're worth, but most of the time they're not convinced that you don't. And as long as you don't know, that's why that passage I just read, I just told you, she perceives that her merchandise is good. It says she perceives. See, they may perceive, too. But if you don't know what you bring to the table, you don't value it. Don't expect other people to because we teach people how to treat us by what we tolerate. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. So if you tolerate being given more and more responsibility with no mention of additional compensation, you better keep a file of everything extra that you're doing that was outside the scope of what you signed up for. And you have to have that written. And, and when you go in for your review, you bring out the list. I do this, this and that. And, uh, you know, and it's been my joy to be the team leader here. I'm a team player, uh, you know, and, and don't sulk, don't sulk, don't pout, don't go underground with your anger when you don't get it. Because you may have to start planning another environment, but you you stay excellent until you leave. <laughs> right. So let's talk about the opposite um, side of this: uh, the victim mentality. The oh, I didn't get it because of you know X, Y, and Z. So, well, it, it, you could you could have indeed been victimized. I always say I'm I'm never a victim, and I do believe that because I ask for what I want, and if 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 I 
if I keep asking or I keep saying discrimination is not going to stop, then I need to say this isn't the environment for me. So I continue to do my work. You know, I'm a professional, but I'm looking and saying, what else is out there? Maybe this is my sign that it's time for me to leave this environment. And don't be afraid to look. You need to always keep your eyes looking. If you work for somebody else, you need to always be looking out for what else is out there and building a network. And this is what I talk about in the book, that one of the things that women don't do well enough, we don't build a strong network of people who can open the door for us, which means that we need to not only have women in our network, we need to seek uh, the allyship of men. I just had a program this week as part of my launch. Uh, we had a whole night dedicated. We had three men who talked about the importance of male allyship in business. You need people who can open doors because a lot of times men have a wider network than we do. And we need to be able to say, hey, can you call somebody for me? But if you don't have a relationship with somebody already, then you're going to be hard pressed because we don't like to ask. Or we're so afraid that no is fatal. It's not fatal. They can't help you. They can't help you. Next. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite word. Next. <laughs> Why do you think that is? Why do you think men have a bigger network than women? Because they don't see it as disingenuous. See, they know the purpose of networking is so they want to advance their ball down the court. Women feel like, okay, we got to be friends before I ask you for something. We don't have to be friends. We just need to have a relationship. You know, I, there are women who are opening doors for me. Even now, a lady called me yesterday and she said, hey, I have a friend who works at this major magazine, national magazine, uh, newspaper. She said, I mentored her. I'm going to call her for you. You know, and so you you need that. Or I remember there was a, a gentleman, I won't call his name, he's very powerful, but I was on a board with him and I uh, someone was had come in and they said, this guy, so he's helped me this, this way, this way, it was a guy. I went to that powerful person later after the meeting. I said, I was so envious of that guy talking about how you had helped him. I said, I just can't imagine what my life would have been if I had had somebody like you in my life mentoring me. So I didn't say, will you be my mentor? I said, from time to time, can I just call you and bounce off the view, a direction I'm trying to take and just see what you think about it? Say, yeah, he's the reason I wrote this book. He helped me to discover that I really have a burden, a passion to see women of faith who don't know how to self-advocate, professional women of faith who are on a fast track, who are ambitious, but they're afraid that if they promote themselves and we don't promote ourselves, but if you get out there and advocate for yourself, that, that you're going to be seen as out of favor with God. I'm teaching women that's not true and how to do it in a way that is still God honoring, but lets people know this is what I bring to the table. That's important. Wow, it sounds like a very interesting read with a very niche, niche audience, which, yeah. is, which is great. Yeah, and I had a hard time niching that, but I thought, you know what? The people I keep talking to are people who, are, they haven't decided if they want a career or not. These are for people who have a calling. And you see, in, leadership is just influence. And so we're not talking about you have to be a corporate executive to read the book and get value. We're talking to women who are in nonprofits, women who are in ministry, mothers, anybody who is influencing somebody, because that's leadership. So even if you're just influencing your family to pray or go to church or, or exercise or eat right, you're a leader. You're a leader. Leadership is influence. That's mm. what it is. I love mm -hmm. that. Can you say that one more time? Leadership is influence. That comes from John Maxwell. He said, leadership is influence. He's a great uh, leadership guru. He said, nothing more, nothing less. So if you're an influencer in your circle of influence, you are causing people's behavior to change. And so therefore you are a leader. You have to begin to see yourself as a leader. You don't have to have delegated authority to be a leader. You just have to be influencing people. You don't need a title. You don't need a title. If you're influencing people, you need to begin to see yourself as a leader. And these are the traits you bring to bear on that in that realm. 
and, and know that men made up the rules on leadership. So when I talk about learning the ability to have a new mindset towards men, we're not, we're not in competition with men. We're going to learn to work together. And we know we have to learn how to fit, not, a, not just necessarily a, a, a accommodate their desires, but how to fit. If you know a man likes a short version of a story, don't, tell the, don't circle the airport 10 minutes before, <laughs> before you make the point. Make the point first, because that's going to get you into circles where they say, oh, yeah, she knows how to get to the point. You know, that, that, that's important. You have to learn those little nuances of leadership. And it, and it is learned. You don't just come here knowing that. And for the most part, they don't teach it in business school. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> right. That's why I wanted to talk about it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Deborah. This, is, uh, this has been uh, an excellent conversation, very enlightening for me. Um, what do you want to leave the Anhaso audience with? Well, I want you to leave you with the fact that remember that you don't, you have, you have to, you need other people to make things happen. You need friends, you need a network. And most of all, I believe you need the supreme help of God himself, because that gives you the confidence to know that you can't lose. You can only learn and go to another level. So get out there and do it. Don't be afraid to live outside of your comfort zone. That's where real living begins. Thank you so much. I love that. Where can people uh, find out more about you and get your book? Well, my book is called, again, the book is Lead Like a Woman. You can get it at any, wherever books are sold, amazon.com. Just remember, Lead Like a Woman. And also you can connect with me on my website, which is deborahpegues.com. Just deborahpegues.com. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Milena. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast and listening to today's conversation. I really hope you got a lot out of it. Connect with us at unhustle.com for more help on your journey to living and working with less overwhelm and more purpose. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave a review and share it with someone who needs to hear this message. You can also tag me on Instagram at unhustle and let me know your biggest takeaway from today's show. Stay healthy and unhustled until next time.